Section eleven of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume one continued. November the second. My mother drove out in my new chariot to-day, a very fine gay one it is, and went to Putney to inquire after Miss B. by the name of Mrs. Jeffreys. She soon found the house, a very neat box with a pretty garden behind it. The door was opened by a servant-maid, and my mother, being told the lady was at home, sent in her name, and was immediately conducted by stairs into a very elegant little dressing-room where the lady was sitting at her toilette, and Mr. Falkland's housekeeper, whom my mother had seen before, assisting to dress her head. On my mother's entering the room, Miss B. rose off her chair, and soon discovered by her shape, for she was without her stays, that it was high time for her to seek a place of concealment. The housekeeper immediately withdrew, and the young lady seemed in the utmost confusion. My mother says she herself was at a loss how to begin the conversation, but Miss B. relieved her and spoke first. She thanked her for the honour she did her by so charitable a visit, which, she said, Mr. Falkland had long ago made her hope for, and which she must consider as the greatest consolation in her present unhappy circumstances. My mother placed herself by her. Madam, said she, Mr. Falkland made it a point with me before he left England that I should see you and afford you all the assistance in my power, or that you should stand in need of. You seem to be commodiously situated here, and, I understand, have a very careful good woman to attend you. I have so, madam, she answered but the most material circumstances wanted to my relief mr falkland he is not here tears started into her eyes as she spoke you were apprised of his absence said my mother before you came to town i was madam and with the cause of it she hung down her head and was silent my mother reassumed the conversation. She told her she thought it a most providential discovery that had given her the knowledge of Mr. Falkland's ill behaviour time enough to prevent his marriage with her daughter, assuring her she would not for the universe have had me the wife of a man under such ties as she must consider Mr. Falkland to be. Miss B. brightened up a little upon my mother saying this, did Mr. Falkland ever tell you, madam, how the unhappy affair happened? My mother told her she knew not particulars, that she had been referred to her for a full explanation, that Mr. Falkland had always endeavoured to excuse himself, and went so far as to say he was sure the lady herself would acquit him in a great measure. Ah, oh, madam, Miss B. cried, and shook her head. "'Tis as I expected,' said my mother. "'Mr. Falkland is an ungenerous man. "'A young lady of your modest appearance, I am sure, "'he must have taken more pains to seduce than he will acknowledge.' "'Miss B. blushed exceedingly. 
"'Oh, madam, you have a charitable, generous heart. "'I was indeed seduced.' "'I knew it,' replied my mother. "'Did he promise to marry you?' She coloured deeper than before. "'I will not accuse him of that, madam.' My mother proceeded. "'You have a relation, madam. "'I understand she was the accessory to your misfortune.' "'Yes, the barbarous woman,' answered the lady. "'She was the contriver of my destruction, "'and if I could have avoided it, "'I would never have seen her face again.' Tears of grief and indignation again burst from her eyes. "'Have comfort, madam,' said my mother. "'All may end well yet.' "'I can have no hopes,' answered Miss B., Mr. Falkland flies me, you see, nor can I ever expect to recover his heart, since so charming a young lady as I hear Miss Biddulph is has possession of it, and though your goodness disappointed him in his late views, he may not yet despair. I found by this, continued my mother, that Miss B. knew nothing of your being married, and made haste to tell her. I never saw joy so visible in a countenance. She clasped her hands together. Dear madam, what do you tell me? How you revive my drooping heart! Then I am not quite homeless. There is a possibility in my favour. She then asked my mother if Mr. Falkland had acquainted her with her real name or that of her relation. My mother, who had once or twice called her by the name of Jeffreys, assured her he had not. "'That was generous of him,' said she. "'He can be generous in some points, but I have no reason to conceal it from so prudent and worthy a lady as you are. My real name is Birchill. That of my cruel relation I will forbear to mention, out of respect to my good uncle, whose wife she is.' Mr. Falkland, she added, left a bill of five hundred pounds with his housekeeper to provide everything for me that I could want, with assurances that he would take the tenderest care of... The poor young creature hesitated, and could proceed no farther, but my mother said she understood her meaning. They had a good deal more discourse. My mother promised to see her often during her confinement, and took her leave. She tells me she is exceedingly pretty, and has such an air of innocence and simplicity, as very much engages one in her favour. I have set down this whole conversation with every other particular exactly as my mother related it. She, who has a most circumstantial memory, repeated it word for word, and I, from a custom of throwing upon paper everything that occurs to me, have habituated myself to retain the minutest things. I know not, my dear, whether you will be of my opinion, but I cannot help thinking that there was something like art in Miss Birchall's behaviour, far from that candour which Mr. Falkland seemed to expect from her. My mother mentioned the pains that she supposed had been taken to seduce her. The deep blush at this hint makes me suspect that her answer was not dictated by sincerity. 
she saw my mother was not acquainted with particulars and that she was willing to pass a favourable judgment on her fault it looks to me as if she laid hold of this prejudice and yet she owned that mr falkland had never promised to marry her i know not what to think but there appears to me upon the whole something evasive and disingenuous in her conduct my mother who is all openness and integrity saw it not in this light but be it as it may it is no longer of consequence to me which was most to blame the gentleman or the lady miss birchill is certainly the injured person perhaps i too may have wronged her in my surmises if i have i beg her pardon the observations i have made on her behaviour are only en passant and i do from my heart wish mr falkland would make her his wife you may perceive from what i have told you how little this interview was likely to produce in mr falkland's favour had it even been brought about sooner my mother is now more than ever confirmed in her opinion that the poor young creature has been deceived and she prays that mr falkland may not be overtaken with a judgment which she thinks nothing but his marrying the girl can avert november the tenth we have at length fixed upon a house to our liking a handsome convenient one in st james's street we are preparing to get it furnished as fast as we can that we may go into it for if my brother should come to town i know our being with my mother will be an objection to his lodging in her house this i should be sorry for for she told him he might make use of it while it remained in her hands november the fifteenth thank my stars i have got over the fatigue of receiving and paying a second round of bridal visits and i am really so tired of it that uninviting as the season is i could wish myself in quiet at arnold abbey but i cannot think of leaving london while my mother continues in it and she is now resolved to do so till miss birchell or rather on this occasion mrs jeffreys is brought to bed you can't imagine how solicitous she is about her every time she sees her she seems more and more pleased with her i am very glad it has happened so for the poor young woman's sake my mother is as warm in her attachments as in her resentments she visits her almost every second day for the poor thing it seems is ill at present and can't leave her chamber she tells me she is extremely melancholy and seems to much dread the approaching hour i greatly honour my good mother for her humanity towards her in her terrifying situation she must want the tenderness of a well-bred as well as a sensible friend for it must be a melancholy thing in such circumstances to have no one about her but servants and those strangers too she told my mother that her altered looks and frequent sicknesses gave her aunt who was privy to the cause of it all a pretence for asking her uncle's permission for miss to go to bath which she told him would do her more good than anything he consented 
and supposed she was actually gone thither under the care of a lady whom her aunt named, who was really going there in order to settle for life, and to whose house she went for a day or two to give colour to the story. Her aunt contrived that she should not take any servant with her, giving it for a reason that, as she might be as well attended by the lady's servants with whom she lodged, and be considered by her as one of the family, a maid would only be an unnecessary encumbrance. She added that her uncle was so afflicted with the gout that he never stirred abroad and saw very little company, so that it was not likely he should ever be undeceived. November the 20th. We have just received a very odd piece of news that I own has a little alarmed me. It is that the widow of Mr. Arnold's brother is found to be with child. There was no mention of this at the time her husband died, nor indeed any cause to suspect it. But the strongest presumptions in the world to the contrary, as her husband and she lived apart. It has not been even whispered till since our arrival in town. The lady pretends that she was not conscious of it herself till within this fortnight, yet her husband has been dead four months. This, I am told, is very possible, though not very common. She has herself wrote a letter to Mr. Arnold to inform him of it, at the same time declaring that she and her late husband had been reconciled a little before his death, and that had he recovered, she was to have lived with him again. All this is very strange. The elder Mr. Arnold killed himself with excessive drinking. His death approached him by slow degrees, but as he could never be persuaded to think it near, he took not the least care either of his spiritual or temporal concerns. His brother was in the country when he was seized with his last illness, which he had precipitated by some extravagant excess. He was almost at the last extremity before he could be prevailed on to let a physician attend him, or suffer his brother to be sent for. In regard to the latter, he told those about him that, as he was his heir, of course he had made no will. He mentioned not his wife. The jointure which had been settled on her, he allowed her for a separate maintenance. They had for a long time pursued separate pleasures, and not of his friends knew that they had ever met, or so much as seen one another from the time they parted. My Mr. Arnold arrived in town just time enough to close his brother's eyes. He was speechless when he came, and expired in less than an hour after he entered his chamber. As his wife had been very obnoxious to the family, there was little notice taken of her by them, more than what common forms require. She seemed as indifferent about the death of her husband as she had been towards him in his lifetime, and did not then hint a word of this reconciliation between them, or of her having had an interview with him. I am told she is very weak as well as a very loose woman, that Mr. Arnold thinks she has got into the hands of some designing person. However that matter may be, it is a serious affair, and he designs to take the opinion of an eminent lawyer upon it. My poor dear mother is frightened sadly. 
if this child should make its appearance in the world time enough to prove the possibility of its being the offspring of the late mr arnold she says it must be considered by the law as his heir notwithstanding the husband and wife living apart mr arnold laughs or affects to laugh at this we shall however wait with patience till the lady is brought to bed november the twenty-fifth our house is entirely fitted up and we shall remove into it this evening my mother chooses to continue in her own though mr arnold presses her to accept of an apartment in ours but we shall be near neighbours and she does not like to change we have received the opinion of our lawyers who tell us that in case the child should be born within such a period of time as to give colour to its claim yet the lady must prove her assertion in regard to the pretended meeting between her and her husband which it is imagined is not in her power to do and her indifferent character together with several favourable circumstances which mr arnold has on his side makes them quite sanguine in their expectations of overturning her claim we are however likely to be engaged in a disagreeable lawsuit but as mr arnold seems perfectly easy about the issue of it i will make myself so too december the tenth i am more and more reconciled to my lot my dear cecilia every day that i live mr arnold's assiduity and tenderness towards me deserve the gratefullest return my heart can make him and i am convinced it is not necessary to be passionately in love with the man we marry to make us happy constancy good sense and a sweet temper must form a basis for a durable felicity the two latter i am sure mr arnold possesses oh may i never experience his want of the former i hope my own conduct will for ever ensure to me his love that can only secure the tranquillity of my future days december the eleventh my brother arrived in town last night and came this morning in company with my mother and i am sure at her request to make us a formal visit my kind mr arnold received him with tenderness sir george was coldly polite he owned however to my mother upon her asking him his opinion of his brother-in-law that he seemed to be a good clever sort of a fellow i wish i could cultivate a friendship between them it will not be mr arnold's fault if there is not but sir george you know is not of a very pliant disposition he asked my mother when they were alone whether she had yet seen miss b or mrs jeffreys for he knew her not by any other name and what she had to say for herself my mother told him he had better not touch upon that string i will be hanged replied sir george if the artful young baggage has not imposed upon you my mother who was always angry at having her sagacity called in question told sir george he was rude and she should give him no satisfaction on that head my brother answered 
as it was now of no consequence what the wench affirmed or denied, he had no farther curiosity about her. My mother called him a bear, and so the inquiry ended. December the 20th. I congratulate you, my sister, my friend, and my ever-beloved Cecilia. Happy, happy may you be in your nuptials. But in the midst of my joy for your being so nobly and worthily bestowed, self-love forces a sigh from me. I have lost the pleasing hope of seeing you at the time fixed for your return. The station your husband holds in the court of Vienna will, I fear, long detain my beloved in a foreign land. But you are not among strangers. A husband, a brother, and tender parent must make every part of the globe equally your home. I will, therefore, seek for my contentment in yours, and rest satisfied with believing that you will always continue to love me. End of section 11